1882, millionaire Joseph Richardson built what was known as New York's narrowest apartment. It was over 30 metres long, but it was only one and a half metres wide, about this wide. You can see it is the kind of the darker kind of building, let me point it out, that runs along there. It was so narrow, in fact, they had to get special furniture just to fit into this apartment. So why did a millionaire live in such a ridiculous and confining house? Well, initially he wanted to sell this narrow piece of land to the neighbouring property owner who was building an apartment block. He wanted $5,000 for it. But the, the owner of the property next door, he only offered them $1,000. Thinking, well, you can't do anything else with this property so I can get it for a bargain price. So Joseph got his own back by building this apartment which blocked out the windows of the other building and then he condemned himself to live a life of discomfort in this ridiculously narrow house. And incredibly, this guy wasn't the last person to use his building to get revenge. In Beirut, this, guy, there was a, the, this ridiculously narrow house, you can see it just the end on here, it was built by a guy who wanted to ruin the sea view of his own brother's property. And then in London, a few years ago, an owner painted her house with these candy stripes eh, just to get revenge on her neighbours who objected to her planning permission, planning application. Now, I hope none of us would ever do anything like that. Of course we wouldn't. But I think we can, we can understand the feeling behind it, can't we? When someone rejects us, or offends us, or insults us, or tells lies against us, or claims the credit for what we have done, or hurts us in any other way, we can all be tempted to look for revenge. And that's never a good thing. For one, it just escalates the pain. As someone has famously said, an eye for an eye just leaves everyone in the world blind. But even if we take revenge and initially feel a little bit better, even if we get some satisfaction from seeing that person who hurt us suffer, that feeling doesn't last. Instead, we end up trapped in a prison of anger and bitterness and resentment. A bit like Joseph Richardson, how he was trapped living in that ridiculously narrow house in New York. So how can we respond to the hurts and the offences that we all will experience in this life without being defeated by the giant of revenge. Well, well this morning again, we're going to look at a, a life, the life of David, an, an incident in the life of David. Because David had every reason for wanting revenge on Saul. This man had literally destroyed his life. He'd unjustly accused them of treason. He'd repeatedly tried to kill him. He even gave his wife away to another man. And David had to live as an outlaw in his own country. And yet when David had the perfect opportunity to take revenge, 
David did something completely different. So this morning, Alison's going to come up. <laughs> yes, you are, Alison. <laughs> come on. And she's going to read to us. And she's going to read 1 Samuel chapter 24 uh, from verse 1 down to the end of the chapter. So 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1 to 22. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Engeti. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all his Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the graves of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along with the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was stricken, having cut off his corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord anointed or laying my hand on him for he is the anointed of the Lord with these words David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul and Saul left the cave and went his way then David went out of the cave and called Saul my lord the king when Saul looked behind him David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground he said to Saul Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This you have seen with your own eyes, how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord, the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom is the king of Israel came out, who are pursuing a dead dog, a flea. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider us my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is it that your voice, David my son? As he wept out loud, You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, and I have been treated you badly. You have just told me that the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, and you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me. 
I know that you will surely be king of king and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from any father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Thank you very much, Alison. David was hiding from Saul in the desert of Engedi when he had this opportunity for revenge. Saul went into the cave to relieve himself, it says, and but back in the hiding in the darkness were David and his men. But David did not take the opportunity to kill Saul and claim the throne. All he did was to creep up and cut a corner off Saul's robe just to show how close he'd been. So why was that? Why did David not take revenge? Well, firstly, it was because he knew it was not God's will. If you look at verse 6, it says, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. This was the first way that David overcame the giant of revenge. He knew what God wanted and he was committed to following it. And we need the same. When we are hurt by someone, we need to know what God wants us to do and we need to be committed to doing it. But the question I have is, well, how can we know what God's will is? in these situations. Well, we mustn't just follow circumstances. Because the situation here for David couldn't have been better for revenge. Saul was completely vulnerable. Nobody was there to protect him. And he didn't even know that his enemy was so close. And David concluded, the Lord gave you into my hands In the cave, who else but God could have arranged this coincidence for Saul to actually go into the cave where David was? So it all kind of seemed set up perfectly for David to get his revenge. And yet, David didn't. This did not mean it was God's will for David to lash out. His circumstances did not direct his actions. That's because circumstances are a very unreliable indication of God's will. We also need to be careful about who we listen to. If you look at verse 4, David's men said to him, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Their idea was, look, David, this is it. Your big chance to take what God promised you. Your big chance to get your own back. But David rejected their advice. And even held them back from killing Saul himself. Now this was not because David just didn't listen to anybody. 
He wasn't just one of those guys who just blocked his ears and didn't want to listen to anybody's advice. If you remember, the last time we were looking at David, he listened to the the advice, the, the words of the prophet Gad, to know where he should go. So David did listen to some people, but he was very selective about who he allowed to speak into his life. If he had allowed his brothers and Saul to direct him, he would never have gone out to face Goliath. If he had listened to the woman as they, as they praised him, as they sang his praises, well, he would never have been able to defeat the giant of jealousy. So David was selective in who he was going to listen to. But unfortunately, Saul was not. Did you see what David, how David challenged him in verse 9? Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? Why do you listen to all these people who are telling lies about me? And and Saul had a reason for listening, didn't he? He was listening to them because they were saying exactly what he wanted to hear. So we do need people to speak into our lives. We all need that to help us to discern God's will for us. But we need to be careful who we allow to do that. Paul warned Timothy, Of the time when people will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll gather a whole lot of people just to say exactly what they want to hear. So there will always be people who will do that. There will always be people who will come and tell us exactly what they think we want to hear. But instead we need people who will speak the truth to us, even when we might not like it, who will preach the word in season and out of season, as Paul told Timothy to do. So circumstances are really unreliable when it comes to discerning God's will. People, well, they can be wrong when they're telling you what God wants you to do. So how can we know God's will for our lives? Well, this is what David wrote in Psalm 19. He said, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. So if we want to know God's will, then first and foremost, we need to learn from God's word. God will never direct us to do something that is contrary to what he has written in the Bible. And the Bible is clear on this topic. That God never wants us to take personal revenge. So the law in the Old Testament In Leviticus chapter 19, it said this, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus reinforced this in his own teaching in Matthew chapter 5. Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So this is the first way. That we can overcome the giant of revenge in our lives. Instead of doing what we feel like. 
instead of just following our circumstances, instead of listening just to people around us, we need to be committed to following God's will as revealed in God's word. But there was another reason why David refused to kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave, David called out to him and said, My Lord, the king. And David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. David gave Saul so much respect. He honoured him. He called him in this passage his master, his lord, his king. And this was crucial in David's decision not to harm Saul. Look at verse 10. He said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the anointed of the Lord. Now David, he was not blind to the kind of man that Saul was. He knew that Saul was proud and jealous and selfish and violent. But David treated Saul not according to the kind of man he was, but according to who God had called him to be. He treated Saul with respect, not because Saul deserved it, but because God had chosen Saul. And God deserved that respect. David saw Saul through God's eyes. And we need to do the same. Paul said that from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We're no longer going to see people just the way the world sees. That worldly way is to measure people's worth by what they do or where they come from or what they have or their race or their social status or their appearance or any other thing. So some people will be friends that we should care for and we should respect. Others are enemies that we should attack or put down or we should hate. We should look for any opportunity to, to bring down. But God doesn't want us to see people that way. Instead, He wants us to treat people based on how He sees them. So we need to respect and honour everyone. Because each of them have been made in God's likeness. Whatever they have or haven't done, they bear the image of God. And so if we want to respect God, then we need to respect those who are made to resemble God. This also means that we need to love everyone for the simple reason that God loves everyone. Even if they attack us, we are called to love them. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
God pours out his love on everybody. Even the people who do the horriblest things. And so if we are God's people, then we are called to do the same. To love people because God loves them. Then this love should be especially seen in the church. Because of the value that God has placed on every one of us as Christians. When Paul was teaching about how to respond to this, the controversy about food that was very rife within the, the early church, he said this in Romans chapter 14, Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Don't destroy your brother from whom Christ died. Retaliation against another Christian should be completely out of the question because through the cross, God has put his infinite value on them. The value of the cross, the value of the death of his son. So we need to see that person through God's eyes. As someone who is loved, as someone who is chosen, someone who has been adopted, a child of God, a a temple of the Holy Spirit, a brother or sister in Christ. Not treat them based on what they have done or what what they're like or what they've said to us, but treat them on the basis of how God sees them. And the value that God has placed on them. The value of the death of his son. But you know, I, I think we'll all be able to do this if we also see ourselves through God's eyes. Do you see what David said here in verse 13? From evildoers come evil deeds. But David didn't see himself as an evildoer. He was God's servant. He was God's anointed. And so David refused to do this evil. And if we have trusted in Jesus, then by God's grace, we've been called children of God. And so as his children, if we see ourselves as his children, then we know that we have been called to live a life of love and grace. And reflect who God is in our lives. This is what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If we can see ourselves through God's eyes, see how much we are loved, how much we have been valued, how much we have been forgiven, then we can see other people through God's eyes too and treat them in the way that God wants us to. So David did not take revenge Because he followed God's will and because he saw Saul through God's eyes. But there's just one final reason for why I think David 
did not take revenge here. And that was because he trusted in God's faithfulness. Look at verse 12. David said to Saul, May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. David refused to take matters into his own hands because he was willing to leave this matter. He was willing to leave justice in God's hands. When God tells us not to take revenge, it's not because he doesn't care about justice. He's not saying that what people have done to us is just okay. And look, it doesn't matter. Just brush it under the carpet and forget about it. It's not because he's going to let that sin remain unpunished. Instead, he's just asking us to let him be the judge. Let him deal with it. Because our God is a God of justice. And the cross of Jesus demonstrates that. Talking about Jesus, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, God presented him, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left his sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Did you get that? God's justice demanded that we would be punished for our sin. But God's love longed for us to be in relationship with him. And so at the cross, God's love and God's justice came perfectly together in Christ to pay the price of our sin so that if we put our faith in Him then we can be reconciled and forgiven and brought into this wonderful relationship with God. The cross of Jesus means that God is just as well as the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So if we have trusted in Jesus if we have been forgiven, then we can confidently leave justice in God's hands. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Our God is a God of justice. If we've been wronged, if people have sinned against us, we can be sure that God will administer justice perfectly. If they do not repent, then they will face the full punishment that they deserve in hell. But if they do repent, and they do trust in Jesus, then they'll be forgiven just as we have been. Because the full punishment that they deserved, their sin has been placed on Jesus and he paid for it in full. 
So the cross of Jesus means that we do not need to take matters into our own hands. We can trust God as the perfect judge. Every sin will be paid for in full. In the end, justice will be done. And so we can wait for God's timing. This is what Jesus did when he was so unjustly accused and beaten. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And we can do the same. Our God is faithful. He can be trusted if we are falsely accused, unjustly attacked, ridiculed, rejected. We do not need to defend ourselves. We do not need to retaliate. Because in His perfect time, God will sort it out. God will judge justly. And it's his judgment that ultimately matters. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. Because he'll deal with it perfectly. And if we do this, if we are willing to wait rather than lash out and demand justice now, if we refuse to retaliate, if we refuse to take revenge, then we create a space, an opportunity for God's grace to work in people's hearts. This is God's purpose in delaying justice. Peter again says in 2 Peter chapter 3, He is patient with you. God is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why it's 2,000 years since Jesus made the promise that he's coming back again. Because he's patient, he's waiting. Because he wants people to repent and turn back to him. And we saw a little glimpse of this in Saul's life. Just a glimpse, but a little glimpse. As Saul reacted to David's refusal to retaliate. Did you see how he wept aloud? Saul did. And he said to David, verse 17, You are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. He even conceded that David was going to be king. Now, this unfortunately was not a wholehearted repentance on the the part of Saul. This was not true restoration. As Saul, he later went back to, to hunting for David again. But this does show how God was working in Saul's life. This was an expression of remorse. This was the first step. This was an opportunity for Saul to repent. He refused, but this was a gift of God's grace to Saul. An opportunity for him to get right with God. David's mercy impacted Saul's heart. And that's God's goal in our lives too. 
Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. Verse 19. Do not take revenge. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we refuse to take revenge, when we respond to hatred with love, when we express God's grace in the face of evil, sometimes God's going to use that to open blind eyes, to soften hardened hearts, and maybe even bring people to repentance and faith. let's not be overcome by evil let's not allow the giant of revenge to imprison us and defeat us instead let's walk in the footsteps of our saviour and follow God's will to love our enemies because he loves them to see people through God's eyes because he died for them To trust in God's faithfulness. To bring justice at His perfect time. And even to use our suffering to bring people to Jesus. And glory to His name.